Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. Really great to be with you, to be able to preach God's word uh, to you live on Pentecost Sunday. It's, uh, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Um, why is it that Pentecost Sunday is kind of nowhere near, at least in our circles, nowhere near as celebrated as Christmas or Easter? Why is it that uh, very often for, for, for many of us, it would pass fairly unnoticed? Well, I want to talk you through why Pentecost Sunday is a really big deal. And we're going to start by rewinding 3,600 years. So are you ready with me? If I press rewind, you're going to come back with me 3,600 years. Who's ready for a bit of time travel? No one. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, family. Thank you for your support. So let's travel back to the time of Moses. The scriptures are not going to come up on a screen today. So if you want to follow me, please uh, get hold of a Bible uh, and turn with me. Uh, we're going to look at various different passages and I'm going to take you on a journey that will help you understand how incredible it is that we find ourselves on uh, with such a thing as Pentecost. So Numbers chapter 11, we're going to read verses 16 to 17. And then verses 24 to 29, Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 to 17, and then verses 24 to 29. And this takes place when Moses is in the wilderness with uh, the people of Israel. They've been rescued out of Egypt and, uh, and they're in the wilderness. And we, 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 we read this Numbers 11, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting. And let them take their stand there with you. And listen to this. I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they hadn't got out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You see, in these days, you had one or two anointed people. And then this thing of 70 people getting filled with the spirit was absolutely unique. So it was an extraordinary thing going on. But two of the guys, maybe they uh, maybe they weren't such good timekeepers. Who knows? They didn't get to this special appointed place on time. They're still in the general camp, but the spirit still comes on them. They start prophesying. People start panicking. Moses, however, understands the heart of God. Moses sees something. He, he, if you like, instead of being annoyed or instead of being panicky, he's inspired. And he says, oh, would that all of God's people could be filled with the spirit and prophesy. He, 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 he has got something of God's heart. So there we see the beginnings of, oh, maybe God wants to do something beyond just anointing 
one or two special people. Let's then fast forward probably around about 800 years. So now we're going to travel forward in time uh, around about 800 years, about 800 BC now, 800 years before Jesus, roughly. And we're going to go to the prophet Joel. Prophet Joel, chapter two, verses 28 to 29. You might find it hard to find because it's a small little book and it's called the Minor Prophets. That's what we call the Minor Prophets there. Not because they're unimportant, but because their writings are a lot shorter than the writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. And so Joel chapter two, verses 28 to 29, we see it, the thing move forward again. We've got someone, Moses, with the heart of God, but now someone begins prophesying and saying something that sounds very similar to what Moses was longing for. Here we go. Joel chapter two, verses 28 to 29, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Take yourself off mute and say, it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. Come to pass. Come to pass. Come to pass. Take yourself off mute. Take yourself off mute and say, I will. I will. Everyone's getting married. No. So it becomes a, it becomes a, pro, a prophetic promise. It's not just a heart. But now God said, no, this is going to happen. It's not just a man with a longing. It is going to happen. And this speaks to us of what I would call an open heaven. A sense of heaven, the, the realm where God dwells by his spirit, being open and accessible to the earth. It's a very, very exciting idea. Um, when this would have been prophesied, it probably would have sent people in a complete spin in terms of what on earth would that look like? What are we thinking about when we think about these things? Now we're going to fast forward to about 30 AD. I'm going to go to a guy called John, known to us as John the Baptist. John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus. And his, his ministry is to pave the way and to prepare the way for Jesus. He causes a real stir because he's wearing camel's hair and he's eating locusts and it's deliberate. He's pointing the people to Elijah. He's saying, I'm one of the old time prophets. It's a deliberate kind of deal. And he's out in the wilderness and the masses are flocking to him. Now, listen to what he says. Let's go to John chapter one, verse 29. John chapter one. Verse 29, we're going to read from verse 29 to verse 34. John chapter 1, verse 29. This is John the Baptist speaking. The next day, no, sorry, not speaking yet. Hold on. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. Listen, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the son of God. And so John the Baptist says two main things about Jesus. Number one, he's the sin bearing lamb. Number two, he's the spirit baptizing son. 
He's the sin bearing lamb and he's the spirit baptizing son. Now we're going to go to Jesus's own words. John chapter seven, same book of the Bible, chapter seven, verses 37 to 39. We're going to let Jesus speak for himself. Jesus here in his own words. They're celebrating the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles when Israel would set up tents. We we'll still do it now. Set up tents for a period of time to remember their life in the wilderness before God brought them into the promised land. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Listen, he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water now this is said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because jesus was not yet glorified listen to the things jesus says anyone anyone i hold on a minute joel i will pry up my spirit on all flesh anyone anyone who thirsts Anyone who, anyone who wants it, anyone who says, yes, this is what I want. This is what I need. Jesus doesn't point elsewhere. He says, come to me. John points to Jesus. Moses is thinking ahead of a day, a day, you know, hundreds of years away. Joel's prophesying on behalf of the Lord. God's going to do something. John says, there he is. Jesus says, come to me. Come, you want this? Come to me. It's an amazing moment. Listen to this quote. How profound are these words of promise to those who come to him? He is not content with speaking of a river. He uses the plural. Rivers shall flow from him. Add stream to stream, torrent to torrent, river to river. And these will barely suffice to set forth the freshness and abundance of life that shall proceed from the soul that previously had been thirsty for its own personal supply you go from the point of being utterly aware of your own personal thirst lord i'm dry i'm as dry as a bone you go from there to a place where rivers flow out from your belly yeah that your bible probably says heart the greek word there is belly out of the very core of who at the center of who you are will flow rivers it's an extraordinary thing but in John 7, it says this hadn't happened yet because Jesus wasn't glorified yet. What do you mean he wasn't glorified yet? Well, there was something that had to happen first. He's not just a spirit baptizing son. He's the sin bearing lamb. And so first must come the cross where Jesus lays down his life for us. While he's being crucified, we're told the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. That curtain represented a closed heaven. That curtain represented you can't get in. You can't just walk into the presence of God. Anyone who thinks they can just breeze into the presence of God does not know God. God is holy. He's so holy. The glorious angelic beings, the likes of which would cause us to, to, to probably die if we saw them. They cover their eyes at the holiness of God. You can't just breeze in to the presence of God. He's holy, holy, holy. And there was this huge, thick temple. Um, curtain in the temple that, that represented this barrier between God and man is torn not from not from bottom to top it's not some some presumptuous thing a man has done it's torn from top to bottom as Jesus lays down his life for us why because the thing that separates us from this great holy God 
the corruption of our hearts, the darkness that's in there, whatever it is, lies, cowardice, selfishness, greed, you name it, bitterness, all of that he bore in his body on the tree. He becomes that sin-bearing sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He offers to take away all the darkness, all of that from us through his death on the cross. From us. The curtain's torn. Heaven is opened. It's extraordinary. This is what begins to open up to the people of God, to everyone who calls, anyone who thirsts, the Holy Spirit. Not just any spirit. Not just any spirit. Listen to what the Apostle John says in one of his letters. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. He says, beloved, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. There's so many spirits out there. There's so much spirituality out there. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in connection with the, 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 the work of Jesus Christ, the man on the cross, whose body, Jesus in the flesh, whose body was broken for us. It's that moment there at the cross that releases the power of the Holy Spirit to all who will call upon the Lord. It's not just any old kind of spirituality. It's not, it's not just this kind of idea where you can just kind of um, close your eyes or switch off or do some kind of do some kind of exercises or something like this and you get a spiritual feeling. This completely transcends that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something completely different where the presence of God himself comes to indwell us. Well, of course, after the cross, Jesus rises from the dead. He ascends back to be with the father. He is glorified, which means now the spirit is poured out. He's done his work as a sin bearing lamb. Now we can do his work as the spirit baptizing son from heaven. We heard from Acts 2 earlier. Jane read it. We heard this amazing uh, account of what happened. Pentecost. This day that we celebrate today is the fulfillment of the longing of Moses. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. It's the fulfillment of John the Baptist pointing towards Jesus. It's the fulfillment of Jesus's prophecy. Heaven is open, folks. It's official. Heaven is open. The curtain's been torn. The spirit has been poured out. I want to read to you that quote again from F.B. Meyer. He says this. How profound are these words of promise to those who come to him? He is not content with speaking of a river. He uses the plural. Rivers shall flow from him. Add stream to stream, torrent to torrent, river to river. And these will barely suffice to set forth the freshness and abundance of life that shall proceed from the soul that previously had been thirsty for its own personal supply. When you come to Jesus, when you put your simple trust in him as your Lord and as your savior, you come into an open heaven. The spirit is the gift, not a reward. It's nothing to do with our performance, nothing to do with any conditions we meet. We simply come to Christ and God gives us 
of his spirit. It's absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. Almost too good to be true. We, we, we love to think that we've brought something to the table. Then we don't feel so bad about it. You know, when someone just keeps on giving, you think, can I give you something back? This is getting uncomfortable now. He is the gift of God, not a reward. He comes based on the work of Jesus, not on the work of you. That's why it's not a cheap thing, because it's based on the most sacred and extraordinary thing that's ever happened. The work of Jesus on a cross. It's priceless. but comes free to us. As we as we close with Jesus in faith, as we just say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In Christ, the fullness of heaven opens up to us. And it's not just one moment. Listen to Ephesians chapter five. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. Why would you do that? It's debauchery. Don't do that. But there's an alternative. Be filled. And that word there is, means go on being filled. It's not, this is a present continuous. Go on being filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It should lead to a liberty, a freedom that, that makes being drunk with wine uh, exposed for what it is. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. Drunkenness and the like is basically just a way of um, uh, dulling your senses so that you act without inhibition. You feel free, but you do crazy things, things you regret, things that ruin your life, other people's lives. There's no need to. In Christ, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and you can know that kind of freedom without the mess, that kind of freedom without the darkness, that kind of freedom without the regret, that kind of freedom without, without all of the things that go with getting drunk hallelujah i mean being filled with the spirit let me, i'm going to leave you with another quote this is from a puritan i guarantee you are going to struggle to believe that i am now reading from a puritan listen to this ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul and they promote sanctification we are not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration and the Christian who goes a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not as he ought from the spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savouring the felt comforts of a saviour's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. By the enjoyment of the love of Christ in the heart of a believer, we mean an experience of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Romans 5 verse 5. Because the Lord has made himself accessible to us in the means of grace, it is our duty and privilege to seek this experience from him in these means till we are made joyful partakers of it. Amen. I, 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 there is bounty for us. There is bounty for us. We must not have these low thoughts of God where we somehow think that his hand is tight. We somehow think that he's not going to keep on pouring out his spirit on us. Of course, 
He is. Brothers and sisters, believe him. Believe him. Believe his report of himself. Don't, don't believe your own ideas about him. Believe his own report. Believe what, who, what he says about himself. Let your faith rise. Let your faith rise and, and, and believe Jesus and, and know his heart is wide open to you. If you've never come to Christ, there is this open heaven waiting for you. He will deliver you from yourself. He will deliver you from just ideas about spiritual things. He will bring you into truth. He will bring you into revelation. He will bring you into a new life. And it might sound arrogant, but once you see it, you can't pretend you haven't. Once you've touched it and tasted it, you can't. Nothing else will do. You know, I, I'm no longer searching. How can you search when you found the treasure? It would be a pretense, wouldn't it, to pretend that you were. The Holy Spirit brings into our hearts the very presence of the Father and the Son and the truth of the gospel. I'm going to leave you with this final sentence from Jesus, and then I'm going to hand over to Alice. And I want to encourage us as we just sing to the Lord, just move toward him in your heart. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Move toward him in your heart and say, Lord, I need a fresh touch of ecstasy and delight. I need a fresh touch of spiritual exhilaration. Lord, I need heartwarming. I don't know about you, I need this so, so often. I need it every day. So I'm going to leave you this final thing that Jesus says. Anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Amen.